This podcast covers all things health, your body, your brain, and your well-being. Each week, we'll be joined by doctors, as well as the occasional guest, to talk about the health topics that mean the most to you. Now, in this episode, I'll be discussing pityriasis capitis, more commonly known as dandruff. Now, you might be thinking, well, I hardly see this in general practice, but actually, over half the adult population will suffer from this condition at some point. And although the majority of cases are treated either at home or from the advice of a pharmacist, we do tend to see them when treatments don't work. And also, we often exclude other conditions, such as seborrheic dermatitis or psoriasis, when in fact we should be considering them. So in this podcast, I'm going to be looking at alternative treatments to dandruff and also looking at the treatments we should be using so that our patients don't keep coming back to us with the same condition. Now, essentially, dandruff is a mild form of seborrheic dermatitis, but it only affects the scalp. Typically, it reaches peak incidence about the ages of 20, but it does become less prevalent from the ages of 50 plus. Now, although it is a relatively minor condition in the grand scheme of things, dandruff really does significantly affect the overall well-being and the self-esteem of many people who suffer from severe forms of it. It's still not very well understood, but I think there are probably three main factors that, when taken together, do contribute to dandruff developing. The first is probably individual susceptibility, and I'm thinking about things like an altered immune system, altered skin barrier function, genetics and even family history, and possibly even emotional stress. It can be thought of as sometimes being due to poor hygiene, but absolutely this is not the case, although the flakes of dandruff can obviously be more obvious if it isn't washed regularly. People will often think that dandruff is contagious, but of course it isn't, but that doesn't help the self-esteem of people with it. So individual susceptibility is one thing that I do think is involved, as is increased sebum production. And dandruff certainly does strongly correlate with sebaceous gland activity in people with it, which I think is why it is more common in the teens and early 20s. So puberty increase of circulating androgens is undoubtedly in the mix. That then stabilises in the 20s and 30s and then gradually starts to decline, which I think is why we see it starting to reduce in numbers over the ages of 50. Dandruff slightly more common in men as we get older because sebum secretion is greater and tends to stay higher for longer as well. And thirdly, I think we have to think about a yeast-like fungus colonisation, and I'm thinking of malassezia here. This is mainly found on sebaceous areas of the body, and it does form part of the normal skin microbiome. Its role in dandruff is confirmed by the use of antifungal shampoos that act on it, and higher numbers of this particular fungus do correlate with symptom severity. And we have a bit of a vicious circle here, because malassezia feed on human sebum in the scalp, that then releases metabolites that then irritate and disrupt the stratum corneum, the outermost layer. 
of the skin. We'll be back after a quick break. Here is a quick word from our sponsor. We take this few seconds off to inform you, our valued loyal listener, about the best health and fitness podcast shows from the Nespod Studios. Join us as we give you the best of the best health and wellness updates you can rely on for the treatment of chronic health problems. Classic functional medicine back to basics health tips and special updates from the best doctors in the United States of America. Check out this health and wellness podcast shows. Explore Health Talk Weekly, Healthy Lifestyle Matters, Excellent Health Digest, Healthy and Free Daily and last but not least, Weekly Health and Fitness Corner. Also, check out Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told Fiction Podcast, for that real life on the go experience with the 27-year-old golden boy, who made our guest invite number one list. He tells us about his story as it happens in real time and in real life. It's Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told. Go get a load of that happiness because happiness is healthy as we know it. Join us every week as we continue to provide you the best of health and fitness wellness updates from around the globe. Enjoy the show. And now, back to our episode. Now, dandruff and dry scalp can have the same main symptoms of flaking skin and sometimes itch, but they are two completely different conditions. And so if you're wondering about how to differentiate them with them, then people with a dry scalp tend to have quite small dry flakes and obviously dry skin on other parts of their face and body, which doesn't happen in people with dandruff without a dry scalp. And the flakes of dandruff are generally larger because these are composed of clusters of skin cells that have become detached from the stratum corneum while adhering to each other. So the dandruff flakes are much larger. One of the key points, I think, is to differentiate dandruff from other scalp-related conditions that can mimic it. And the big ones I tend to think of in practice would be more severe seborrheic dermatitis, now, this typically causes greasy scaling of the scalp without any significant hair loss. But you also get it on other typical sites, such as nasolabial folds, eyebrows, hairline, and chest. Unlike dandruff, and this is a really key point, in seborrheic dermatitis, the skin may appear red and inflamed. That does not happen in simple dandruff. Atopic eczema, obviously extremely common, uh, but this typically causes a scaling, itchy scalp. And you've got to ask for a personal or family history of atopy here, and you get infrequently hair loss. Hair loss is less commonly associated. Psoriasis is another big one here which you have to consider. Now, scalp involvement of psoriasis is usually a variant of chronic plaque psoriasis, and you've got to look for that typical silver scale. The whole scalp might be affected, or individual plaques may be visible. It can also be associated with, with areas of non-scarring alopecia, and don't forget to look at the nails or lesions at other sites as well. 
Folliculitis can sometimes make dandruff, but I think we would probably all recognise that fairly straightforwardly with small inflammatory papules and pustules. They can mimic the inflammatory form of fungal scalp infections occasionally. And lichen planus also, perhaps one to consider as well. It typically causes an itchy scalp, mainly affecting the vertex with redness and scaling around the hair follicle bases. And again, you may get some hair loss and some scarring alopecia. So most of the time, dandruff is fairly straightforwardly diagnosed, but don't forget other conditions to think about, especially if treatments aren't working. Now, if we're talking about treatments, there are two main groups that we should be advising our patients about. First are medicated treatments and shampoos that are used once or twice a week, uh, and the second are shampoos that can be used in place of a normal cosmetic shampoo. So let's look at medicated anti-dandruff products in general. Now, the ones here that we normally use are probably split into three main categories. You have coal tar extracts, you have selenium sulfide, and you have ketoconazole. So the coal tar extracts that patients will come in and say they've used, typically things like tea gel, therapeutic shampoo, or alphacil, these aim to reduce the itch and inhibit cell division on the scalp. Use them once or twice a week for about a month, or two to three times a week for about six weeks. Selenium sulfide, on the other hand, slows skin cell production and it inhibits fungal growth. The one most people here would use would be Selsun, which is 2.5% selenium sulfide. Use it twice a week for a couple of weeks, and then once a week for about another fortnight, and then you can use it as needed. Ketoconazole, usually Nizoral, kills any fungus by disrupting its cell membrane twice a week for about a month, and then once a week for every two, one to two weeks. So those are the medicated anti-dandruff products, the three main ones that you'll hear about. Anti-dandruff shampoos, there are probably four main groups that would be recommended to patients with dandruff. So you've got things like oilatum scalp treatments or cyclopyroxolamine. Now this inhibits fungal growth and you use it in place of normal shampoo. Head and shoulders, which is obviously a big one, uh, and also Neutrogena T-Gel Daily Shampoo, again used as normal shampoo, um, inhibits fungal growth. Propondiol Caprylate, or Nizoral Daily, inhibits the growth of Melisasia. And Salicylic Acid, usually in the form of Neutrogel T-Gel, Neutrogena T-Gel Daily Shampoo, um, you can use in place of normal shampoo, and that simply loosens skin cells and assists the exfoliation of skin cells. Now, don't forget that dandruff is a chronic condition that does require long-term treatment in the vast majority of people with it. So dandruff will often recur if treatment is stopped, and that's something we should be telling our patients. It's very important that patients continue to use the treatment shampoo to prevent recurrence of symptoms and using a daily anti-dandruff shampoo as well in between any medicated treatments can also help to keep symptoms at bay. Typically patients will come to us if their treatments aren't working uh, and you've, then you've got to think about other conditions you know the seborrheic dermatitis, psoriasis, contact dermatitis and the scalp eczemas we've mentioned. 
Also, don't forget to look for signs of infection. Obviously, crusting, oozing, bleeding, anything like that, patients should see their GP. So I suppose in a nutshell, always use a medicated shampoo with antifungal agents in it. I tend to use ketoconazole shampoo if the dandruff persists. And I'd always advise the patients to keep using their treatment regularly as instructed to prevent any recurrence. If there are signs of infection, or if their dandruff is still persisting after a month, then they should be reassessed. So that's a very simple run-through about dandruff, and I hope that's been helpful. This will conclude the episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please leave a comment and subscribe. Thank you. We have a great show today, but first, take a second to make sure you've subscribed to our show wherever you're listening to podcasts. It's the best way to make sure you don't miss any of our episodes. Thanks. Please take a moment to follow, rate, and review this podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform. This will conclude the episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please leave a comment and subscribe. Thank you.